today we good ready for week three I want to welcome everybody online this morning thanks so much for being with us and I would like to introduce you to our very special guest the Reverend Anna Lee Allen good morning West it is wonderful. It's uh, such a privilege to be here with you this morning. I um, just want to tell Andrea an appreciation from my heart that she um, has invited me to come and be a part of your worship today. And she also reminded me that I needed to welcome those that are worshiping online with us. We're, we're grateful that you've tuned in to us today. So I am the Reverend Annalee Allen, and I serve as the Associate Director of Ministerial Services for the Western North Carolina Conference. I work in the same office with Amy, uh, Amy Coles, but my role is a little different. I provide um, support for our Board of Ordained Ministry, the staff support. I coordinate several programs, like the vocational discernment, candidacy, and then our residency in uh, ordained ministry program. I also serve as the conference staff liaison to the Council on Campus Ministry, and I get to work with our Wesley Foundations and our um, campus chaplains. And a joy that just resonates in my heart as a part of my ministry is the honor that I have to be able to walk along and lead people as they are discerning their call to ministry, providing those opportunities that helps them to recognize the voice of God and how God is calling them to licensed or ordained ministry. I get to guide them through our process and identify the most effective ways that our conference can provide and prepare them for a lifelong fruitful ministry. In reality... They are continually moving, moving toward an authentic freedom to be who God is calling them to be. And that's exciting to witness that in someone's life. However, for them, they can feel pretty anxious. Uh, this movement toward freedom often comes with a challenge to take risk. I enjoy my ministry because I get to help people discover the ways in which God's grace encourages them to embrace, to embrace these risks as a natural part of change. Um, if you put a sli the slide up, please. There are a few famous people that have embodied risk as a natural part of change. Take the Wright brothers, 
for instance. In 1903, they took a risk and the aeronautics industry was launched. In 1923, Walt Disney studio Laughagram, that's what it was known as to begin Laughagram, went bankrupt. But Walt Disney kept taking risk and he continued to pursue his vision, changing the landscape of family entertainment. It's hard to imagine that publishing Harry Potter was ever considered to be a risk. But as J.K. Rowling received rejection letter after rejection letter, she never quit writing. And she changed the world of children's literature. And can you believe Beyonce? Queen Bee. She was terrified of the feedback that she might receive in 2013 when she took a risk and released every song off of her self-titled album all at once without any prior promotion. The album was huge, of course, and her risk changed the way artists share their work. Now an artist will just drop a project out of the blue. I've often heard that there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who see failure as an option and embrace change as they move onward. And those who are cautious and seek stability and assurance that everything's going to be okay. We all know people like each one of those, right? We know those that, that are just seem to be free and, and just do whatever is laid on their heart in the moment. And then there are those that are really cautious and they have to map out every step that they take. The world needs and rewards both. But cautiousness and stability do not guarantee success. A very successful entrepreneur once told a group of young entrepreneurs, in a world that's changing really quickly, the only strategy that is guaranteed to fail is not taking risk. Jesus once spoke about taking risk. He was having a conversation with his disciples, and, and they asked him. They needed to know some signs that they could look for so that they would know when Jesus was returning. And he replied with a series of parables. And this is one of those parables that he told. I'm reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, the 14th verse, and I'm reading from the message. It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one he gave $5,000, to another 2000 to a third 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled the master's investment. The second did the same. But the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given five thousand showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. 
the servant with 2,000 showed how he also had doubled his master's investment. His master commended him, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into the utter darkness. Before we move forward, it's important to understand a pivotal moment in this story. These men were servants. They were subject to the direction and the control of their master. But notice, when the master hands over the money, depending on their abilities, he doesn't give them direction or instruction. This indicates a shift in their role. They are no longer only servants. They are now also stewards of the master's finances. A steward's role is to act in the master's best interest using their own judgment to look out for the master's interest in the long run. I recently learned that when people hear this parable read for the very first time, they most often identify with the man who hid the thousand dollars. That's understandable. How often have we been afraid to make decisions, especially if it is about someone else's belongings? The servant said that he knew the master had high high standards and hated careless ways. He knew that he demanded the best and made no allowances for error. It seems at first glance that he was afraid to be careless with the money. And so he decided to not take any risk, and he hid the money until the master came back. We can all comprehend what he might have been feeling, you know, if if we've ever had to make decisions and take responsibility for what belongs to someone else. He was afraid. He was so afraid of the master's high standards that he did not act in the best interest of the master. Acting in someone's best interest is to bring them an advantage or a benefit. If anything, the servant was acting in his own best interest because he said he was afraid. He was afraid that he would disappoint his harsh master. However, I just have to ask this question. If this man is correct in his assessment of the master... Would he not have been motivated by that fear to do something? You know, when when I'm afraid that I'm going to do something wrong, boy, that fear motivates me to try and to give my best. So if 
If he were afraid, why did he not give it to the bankers who could have earned a small profit? A small gain could have been achieved without great risk or a lot of effort on the servant's part. But he decided to do nothing. And the longer the master was gone, the more interest he lost by the servant doing nothing. If you pay attention, the excuses of this servant are ignored. And it becomes evident that this man is idle. He did nothing. He did not even give it to the bankers to let them go to work. I wonder, I wonder how the master would have reacted if he had, if he had just taken a little risk, did something, and failed. I recently read a very long list of reasons why people avoid taking risk, and fear of failure was right at the top. We also avoid risk because we are afraid of rejection. We need approval or we need to always be right. Some people don't take risks because they prefer to be unhappy. I was surprised to to read this. They prefer to be unhappy, trapped in their problems, and enjoying the sympathy that they receive from others. And finally, the list says that some play it safe because they just don't want to change. My husband, Craig, is also a United Methodist pastor, and we naturally talk to one another about our sermons. We help one another wrestle with the scripture as the sermon takes shape. And over the last few weeks, Craig and I have had a lot of conversation about this parable because it's hard to see any good news in this story. And I think that it's difficult because it is easy to identify to identify with and feel sympathy for the servant who hid the money. However, there really is good news in this story. And we find it when we consider this servant's attitude toward the master. He characterizes his master as harsh, and he's even bold enough to say that to his master, to his master's face, bold enough to tell him what he thinks about him. His excuse for doing nothing is basically, you know, I knew you were unreasonable and that there was no way to please you, so I didn't even try. In reality, an unreasonable master would have been more like Pharaoh. Do you remember the story where Pharaoh demands that the Israelites make bricks without providing the people with the necessary materials of straw and clay? Make these bricks out of nothing. That's an unreasonable master. But this master did supply the means for his servants to make a profit. He gave them all money according to their abilities and and trusted that they would multiply the money. It's not the master's issue. It was the servant's attitude. The first two servants seemed excited, and they got to work quickly to benefit their master. And for their effort, they were invited to be the master's partners. The last servant, well, he took a different approach. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is is preparing to ascend into heaven, and he says to his disciples, 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is often referred to as the Great uh, Great Commission. And we continue to hold this as an expectation for us modern-day Christians. These expectations are not given to us without resources from which we can begin. Our loving God provides us with everything we need, everything we need to risk, to risk and at least give it a try. God does not require that we do the impossible, to make disciples where God has not provided the means. Now, I want to be very clear here. I'm not talking about salvation by works. I do not believe that we are saved by our good works, but we are saved unto good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse eight, verses 8 through 10 tells us, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. Just as the master in this story provided his servants with what they needed to further his holding, holdings, God has prepared beforehand what we need to further the kingdom here on earth. And he gives gifts to us, not the same across the board. One individual may have gifts different from another. One church may have gifts and resources different from another because the work is different that God has prepared us for. So those resources are going to be different. There was once a church They had a new educational wing added to their building and had expanded their sanctuary. They had the latest technology. They had a great audio and video system. That was one of the things they were most proud of. They had a church van, and surprisingly, they had no debt, and they had money in the bank. Things were good. But then... Older members started to pass away, and younger people were not coming to worship as often, and leadership became very concerned with the membership numbers. Leadership decided to meet every morning in the sanctuary, and they prayed that God would guide them and show them what they needed to do, how they needed to use these resources. After a few months of prayer, their district superintendent approached them and asked if they would like to utilize some of the resources the conference was offering. And they thought, maybe this is a God thing. They talked about it, and the leaders of the church cautiously said yes, and they decided that the congregation would participate in a 360 readiness survey. You may have heard that bef- uh, about that survey before. This uses input from everyone in the congregation to create a custom report to, to provide ideas for reasonable next steps. So they now knew the strengths and the weaknesses of their congregation. 
A mission insight study was utilized to collect the demographics of the population trends within 10 miles of their church. Median age, income, ethnicity, and their neighbor's personal references in just about every aspect of life was provided, even how they preferred to worship. So the day came when the leaders decided their next, would decide their next steps. One man spoke. He said, you know, I like things the way they are, and I just, I just don't think that we need to change. We don't need to make all of these changes. If people want to come to church, they'll come to church. Another person spoke and asked the rest of the group, does everyone else feel this way? No one would even make eye contact. Everybody remained silent. And she continued, If you really feel this way, in a few years when we are trying to decide how to continue on as a church, I hope that we'll all remember this day when we decided, even though we have everything we need to do the work, we decided to do nothing. The man spoke again and said, If God wants there to be a church here, there'll be a church here, no matter what we do or don't do. The woman, with tears in her eyes, said, I know God wants my family to eat tonight, but I have to put in some effort. I have to cook the meal, or at the very least, I have to drive them to a restaurant for someone else to cook. There was silence in the room. And then the leaders decided that they should pray some more for God to send people to the, through the doors of their building. The good news for this church is, is that God provided them with everything that they needed to begin the work of making disciples in their community. They decided to play it safe and do nothing But they are still a church. They're a little bit smaller. But each and every day, they have the opportunity to make the decision to go to work with what resources remain. I think the first question that we need to ask ourselves as individuals and collectively as a community of faith is, what has God provided us to do the work of making disciples. And if you've not asked this question before, today is the perfect day to begin to ask this question uh, within yourselves, within your congregation, with uh, Pastor Andrea, to ask these questions. Because right now, delegates are gathered for a special General Conference in St. Louis. They're there to make decisions that are going to bring changes to our denomination. And it is vital for us to understand that no matter what changes may come, God is still going to provide us with the resources to continue to make disciples. Being the church may look and feel differently than we have grown accustomed to, But we have a loving God. We have a God who loves us so much that he gives us the freedom to make decisions for ourselves. To make 
decisions to take risks that as we, we live out of our faith, we benefit the kingdom here on earth. God gifts us with resources, different resources, according to the work that God needs us to do. Will we be known as a community, you know, as those Christians that, well, they have all these resources, but they just kind of sit idle. They just go in their building and they sit and they don't really use those resources out in the community that much. They make excuses. They won't even use what God has provided. And sometimes they just do the least amount that they could do. Or, or might they be saying about us, you know, look at those Christians. They're willing to embrace change. They can see failure as an opportunity to learn, to learn how to do things better. They're willing to use the resources that God has provided to become partners with God, to benefit God and make an impact in the world. God loves us. God loves us so much that he provides everything that we need to be the body of Christ in this world. He loves us enough to let us make that choice for ourselves. Are we going to be risky Christians and risk it all for his kingdom? Is that who we're going to be, church? I pray that it is because there's a lot of people in this world that still need to hear how much God loves them. Let's risk it all. Let's be risky Christians. Let us pray. Loving God, may we joyfully submit ourselves to you totally afresh today. We thank you for for providing us with all that we need to do the work that you've prepared for us. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit who teaches us all things and enables us to be and to give our best in everything. Forgive us when we don't even do the least we could do or when we try to get by with doing just good enough. We pray for the delegates in St. Louis who have been tasked with some hard decisions. May they and we choose the freedom that you give us to risk it all, to give and to do our very best in everything so that you may be glorified and you are proud to call us partners in the work of making disciples. Amen. Now go out into the world today and for the rest of this week, by the power of the Holy Spirit, know that you have the power and the freedom to risk Go be risky Christians and change the world.